Pastor Mike said he's feeling better, but he's still feeling a little under the weather, so he, he texted and asked if um, I would be willing to teach tonight. And uh, one of the predicaments when you when you are asked to teach is you go, what do I teach on? So I thought I would just pick it up right after what uh, um, Matt left off on Sunday. He did a great job in James chapter 1. So I'm going to pick it off in James 2, and uh, we'll see what the Lord has to say to us um, tonight. James chapter 2, if you have a Bible, we're going to read uh, the first uh, 13 verses together. James 2, James writes, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love the Lord your God as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So the book of James, it was uh, written in, um, some say it was one of the first epistles that was written chronologically. It was written in uh, approximately 40 AD. And um, so James is talking to the early church, the early believers, and he's uh, tackling a, a issue of partiality. Um, it's not something we really hear a lot about um, in in the church. It's not like a, a, a message that a lot of people uh, pick topically to teach on, but it's something that God um, it, it um, um, addresses quite a bit in His Word. And so we're going to look at this issue of partiality. Um, I don't know how you grew up. You know, I grew up. I was um, I grew up in Southern California. Um, I was a, a skateboarder. And, uh, you know, I just kind of um, was kind of friends with everyone. I was a happy-go-lucky kind of kid and went around. And, and, you know, I didn't really grow up with a lot of prejudice, um, you know. Um, in, in fact, you know, in high school, you know, everyone was kind of friends with everybody. And, you know, um, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, uh, prejudice. And, um, so I can't say I, I kind of grew up in that kind of environment, um, you know. But this issue of partiality is very real in our world. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's more real in some places um, of the world, like India, um, where they have a, uh, what um, they call a, uh, is it caste 
caste system. <clears throat> where you have the rich and you have the poor. And there's a, a, a very heavy um, oppression that goes on um, in those parts of the world. And, um, you know, it's, um, they, there's a group of, of people in India, they call them the untouchables. Um, and really it's just the poorest of the poor. And, um, and these people are um, just the outcasts of society. And um, they're, treated, um, they're treated like dogs. And um, so, so James is, is addressing this issue in, this early, in the early church. Sometimes we think of the early church as being, you know, oh, super, super spiritual. And they walked with the Lord and God moved in powerful ways, which he did. But they had issues. Um, that that um, went on in in the early church, and this issue of partiality, James um, sees fit through the Holy Spirit to address it. Um, <clears throat> in Galatians chapter two, verse uh, six, um, Paul the apostle writes, "But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me." So, um, you know, Paul the Apostle was, he had one mission, one goal, one desire, and that was just to make Christ known, to preach the gospel. And he dealt with people who were, um, who came in and they wanted to draw people to themselves and um, draw people away from the gospel of grace, from the gospel of life, from the gospel of liberty. And Paul, continually in his letters, and many of the apostles, they were combating this, um, this, you know, um, this uh, drawing away that was happening. But, but Paul writes, he goes, whatever, whatever they were, you know, religious people, um, it, they mean, it means nothing because God doesn't show any partiality. So when we think of God's character, you know, a lot of times we'll think of his love or his mercy, or his grace, or his justice, or his holiness. But we don't really think of this part of God's character, um, his, um, that he's impartial, um, that he doesn't show partiality. He doesn't look at someone, and um, the, the word actually means like face, face first or something, where he looks at someone based on their outward appearance, and loves them based on some some outward feature. So God's character, part of his character is is impartial. Um, John MacArthur, he writes this, yet this is a serious and reoccurring theme throughout scripture. God is absolutely impartial in his dealings with people. And in this, as with his other attributes, he is unlike us. Human beings, even Christians, are not naturally inclined to impartiality. We tend to put people into pigeonholes, into predetermined categories, ranking them by their looks, by their clothes, their race, social status, their personalities, their intelligence, the kind of cars they drive, their wealth, their power, by um, the type of house or the neighborhood they live in. So isn't that true? Um, Don't we do that as human beings? It's It's partiality. Why is it important to us as a church? It's it's important. It's important because we're we're the body of Christ. We're um, His church. 
we're believers. We're not to be partial towards one another. We're to be unified in love, as it talks about in Ephesians. Um, sometimes it's easy to get into cliques within church. And like these, these, this, I'm a part of the men's group, or I'm a part of the worship team, or I'm a part of, um, you know, this. But that's why, you know, one of, one of the things we want to encourage is, is not dividing the body, but encouraging one another to come together and be unified and in, inclusive of everyone because we're all the body. And we're going to look at some scriptures tonight looking at James. You know, if someone comes in and they're, they don't look like us, they don't talk like us, they don't act like us, they smell, they kind of rub us wrong. How are we to respond to that? Matthew 5, 43 through 48. We're going to read this, read the fine print. Jesus, our Lord, says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be your sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise in, on the evil and on the good, and sends his reign on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's turn over uh, to First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. You all know the story of David and, and how um, Samuel, we went through the, bu- the book of Samuel a few months ago, and how uh, God told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and and that he would reveal who the king of Israel was to be. And, and Jesse had all his sons pass before him. And the Lord said, it's none of these guys, it's someone else. And he's, he, he asked Jesse, do you have any other children? And Jesse told him, yeah, we'll have one other, but he's he's out in the field, he's ready and and the Lord told Samuel, don't look at his outward appearance because God doesn't look at that. God looks at the heart. And so um, here in 1 Samuel sixteen seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to, we're just, I'm just going to be, Doing a lot of scriptures, I, I know. Uh, you don't worry about turning up. I've got them up on the screen. Um, but Romans 2.11, For there is no partiality with God. Deuteronomy 10.17, we're going to build on this and see how much the Lord talks about it in his word. Deuteronomy 10.17, For the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Next one. Second Chronicles 19.7 Now therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. In Job 34.19 Yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they all are the work of his hands. Our Lord was accused of, of showing impartiality. He treated everybody equally. It doesn't matter if they were, it was Pontius Pilate, it was uh, a Pharisee or a uh, religious leader or uh, a pauper. 
he treated everybody and he taught everybody not showing favoritism. In Luke 20, 20 through 21, it says, So they watched him and they sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and authority of the governor. Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. See, even his enemies saw that, that you know, our Lord didn't show partiality. And in 1 Peter 1.17, it says, If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in reverence and fear. You know, this, this, is, this is really convicting because I look at my own life and I go, well, you know, I don't, I don't show partiality. I'm um, friendly with everybody. But, and then as I'm like reading this, I'm seeing, you know what? I do this. I show partiality. Even today, you know, I wake up at 3 o'clock this morning. I go to, go to work because we're having company come. And everyone knows when you're having company come, everything has to be perfect. And so I'm hustling, busting my back. Everybody's hustling, doing a great job. And then the company comes, and it's like, you know, you want to impress this person. And <laughs> why? Why? What's the purpose? Maybe deep down inside, oh, I can get a promotion of some sort and make more money. And, you know, uh, who knows what the, the heart is deceitfully wicked. But it's funny how, you know, you catch yourself doing that at times. The problem is when it happens in the church. God, God desires for us to be reflections of his character. They're what, these, what, what they call communicable attributes of God communicable attributes of God are the attributes that God that are true of God that are to be communicated through us as his people God is love God wants us to be reflections of his love God is uh, righteous he wants us to be righteous and holy God is impartial he wants us to communicate that same impartiality the problem is is that we fear what people think. At least I do. I have uh, no hard time at all sharing the gospel with someone that I don't really know, a stranger on the street. But when it comes to my own family, it is so hard for me to share the gospel because I care about what they think about me. I care about, are they going to think negatively or bad of me? And God says that's impartiality. I don't want you to care about what people think about you. I want you to treat everybody equal. So that's a communicable attribute of God. Some attributes of God, we can't. We'll never be omnipotent. We'll never be omnipresent. We can't, we can't communicate that, those attributes of God. But those attributes of God's character, his love, his grace, his mercy, those are lived out through us as we are in relationship with the Lord um, the Holy Spirit lives in us as Christians. He lives his life out through us. That's why it's important for us to be in right fellowship with him so that we can rightly represent him before other people. That when other people look at our lives, they see, the, they see Jesus. They see a reflection of our Father in heaven.
Let's read uh, Proverbs twenty four twenty three. Further sayings of the wise. These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. Proverbs twenty eight twenty one. To show partiality is not good. Because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. Things can change really, really quickly. It's not good for us to, to show partiality because people change. In James chapter 2, verse uh, 4, Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? God doesn't look at the rich. He doesn't look at the poor any different. He doesn't set people in classes. He loves us, not because of anything external. He doesn't love us because of what we're going to become. He loves us because that's his nature. That's who he is. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Awesome. I've been to Africa a couple times, a few times, and one thing that always amazed me is their big smiles and the joy and how happy. I mean, not all of them. Some of them are, don't know the Lord and they're bummed. But, but those ones that know the Lord and they're poor and they have nothing, they have so much joy. I'll never forget the time that I was in Sudan. And um, I was, we were sitting in a, underneath this oak tree. And they were having church. It was a four-hour church service. They had a baptism. They had a baby dedication. They had communion. They had worship. They had the teaching of the word. So four hours. But they had joy. They were, they were filled with joy. And they're poor. They had nothing. I just remember sitting there and just being just floored, blown away. You know, we have comfortable chairs. And, but sometimes we don't. And, and, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing to have nice things, but God's chosen the poor to be rich in faith. Isn't that true? And then verse 6, But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Now, I want to make a distinction. Just because someone's rich or poor, doesn't determine their heart. I've seen very poor people that have been very prideful. I've seen very rich people that have been very prideful. The thing that determines a person's character and who they are is whether or not they know Jesus. And it, it, um, that's, that's the main thing. But it is true that riches have a way of corrupting. They have a way of, of the blessing can become a curse. We can have so much that we forget the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 8. In James chapter 5, James writes, Come now, you rich, weep and mourn for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and you, your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and other corrosions will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, 
and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. So basically God's saying everything will will give account. God will judge everything. Um, Ephesians, God's word to employers. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 9. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with them. And then Colossians chapter chapter 3, verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. For he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you have a master in heaven. So he's talking to employers. He's saying, and treat your employees well. Why? Because we'll all give account. We'll all stand before God one day. We'll all stand and give account to God one day. And there's no partiality with God. He'll judge everyone according to their works. Back to James verse chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, but you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So James is, is, is he's developing a logical argument and he's, sh- he's showing us that if you show partiality, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. You're guilty. And one of the things I love about God's word is God doesn't just leave us in that place of, of guilt. He shows us the way out. He says you're convicted. You are guilty of partiality. You've done it. What's the way out? Well, the royal law, this law is not the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law is the Ten Commandments, but it's the law of love. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ. It's the law of, um, that's fulfilled in us who believe. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about um, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All those things are are a product of the love that we have through the Spirit, abiding in Christ, living in Him. It's not something produced in in and of ourselves. But if we walk with the Lord and we're allowing His Spirit to live in us, then that person, that, that homeless person that comes in here, that smelly person, that person that rubs us wrong that comes in or cuts us off on the way into church, when they come in and we're walking in the Spirit, guess what? God's love's going to fill our heart for that person. So this royal law of love, it's a, it's a greater law. The law, the purpose of the law, the purpose of the Ten Commandments, it's not bad. Sometimes I think we think of, or I, I, at least I, think the Ten Commandments, oh, the Ten Commandments, they're, they're done, they're old, that's, God's done with that. No, they're good. 
The law is good. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is just. Read the whole book of Romans and you'll discover that that's true. The law is a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. It shows us our sin. It shows us this is the standard. This is the bar. And here you are. Here I am. We can't, we can't measure up. That's why we need the Lord. Because if we keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, we're guilty of breaking the whole thing. It's perfect. I love the analogy. You know, you, 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 if I was to take the Ten Commandments and write them on, a, on a, a, the window in the bathroom, and I was to say, hey, Kevin, here's a rock. I want you to break one of these Ten Commandments. And you look at me and say, well, if I throw the rock at the mirror, the whole mirror is going to shatter, and they're all going to break. The law is like that mirror. It's perfect. And you throw that one, one rock, the whole mirror is going to shatter. And we've all transgressed the law. That's why we need a Savior. If someone doesn't see their sin, and they don't see their need for the Savior, then why are they going to turn to him? They won't. They don't, it, a lot of people don't even know they need the Lord. But it's when the Holy Spirit convicts a person of their sin, shows them, you know what, my life, I'm not doing the right thing. I'm not going the right way. Um, I've been going my, my own way. And then the Holy Spirit is able to, to show a person through his law, through his spirit, that they need a Savior. <clears throat> Verse 11, For he who said, Do not com- commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Remember, God is just. God is holy. And he's not showing partiality when he judges. So I guess our, the question is, do we want to stand before him based on the, the law? Do I, do I want to stand before God and say, well, I want to try and keep the whole law perfect my whole life and be a good person and try and get to God that way? Or do I want to trust in Jesus Christ? Those are the only two ways, but none of us can do the first one. We all fall short of the glory of God. Verse 12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm going to close with this prayer by uh, Paul in the book of Philippians chapter 1. And then we'll go ahead and enter into a time of prayer. Philippians 1, 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I'm going to read that again. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Father, would you give us love? Would you increase our, our love? Or would you increase our, our um, ability to not show partiality, to reflect to you in a way that's, that's true of who you are? Well, we pray as, Lord, new people come to the church here, as um, 
even old people, people that are already here, Lord, that everybody would feel a sense of uh, this is a safe place. Um, I'm not judged here. I'm, um, I'm accepted. I'm loved. That our love, Lord, for one another would be so evident, Lord. That you would increase that love, Lord. That we wouldn't be cliquish or, or um, self-absorbed, but you would help us to genuinely care for one another, Lord. But would you do that by your spirit, Lord? We commit this time of prayer and intercession to you. We thank you that your ear is bent to the cries of your children, Lord. That you're attentive to our prayers. And Lord, you care deeply, Lord, about every detail of our lives, Lord. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name.